Father, tonight we pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart will be acceptable unto you, O God, my strength and my redeemer. Father, I pray now that you would open the eyes of our hearts that we may behold wonderful things out of your law. Lord, tonight I pray for the spirit of wisdom to come and just anoint this place like a heavy blanket. Father, may we feel your peace tonight. May we feel this wisdom just drape over us, Father, as we dissect what we believe is the next season that Keystone is heading in. We love you tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, well, thanks for being here. Um, this is one of those messages that if someone's not here, they really need to go back and listen to it on the podcast, and you may want to as well. Um, I'm going to get through this as quickly as possible, but I want to be thorough as well. So tonight is simply titled Being Intentional. As you see the slide up there, Being Intentional. And I just want to start off with Matthew 28, 18 through 20, very familiar scripture. I'm reading from the message. It says this, Jesus undeterred went right ahead and gave his charge. God authorized and commanded me to commission you, underline that in your Bible, commissioned you, go out and train everyone you meet. You need to underline that too. Train everyone you meet far and near in this way of life. Marking them by baptism in the threefold name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Then instruct them in this practice. For all I have commanded you, I'll be with you as you do this. So there's nothing to be afraid of. Day after day, after day, right up until the end of the age. This is such a, such a common theme that we hear all the time, especially when we're commissioning missionaries or we're maybe anointing a pastor or we're launching somebody who's planting a church. Hey, we've been commissioned to do this, but, but in reality, Jesus' last command was to make disciples, command people to, and train them in the way that I have trained you. So everything you've seen me do for the last three and a half years, I want you to download, I want you to reproduce into everyone that you meet. Now let's crack this open. I'm going to take a roundabout way, so follow with me. We'll, we'll all come back and hopefully still be awake. All right. So to understand the end, or let's say that this is the last command that Jesus gave, we have to go back to the beginning. Matter of fact, a prophet said, in order for you to understand the end, you have to look to the beginning because the Father knows the end from the beginning. In other words, he actually knows how it's going to end because how it started. So let's go back to the beginning. God created man and woman in his own image. We know this, right? This is like Sunday school stuff. They spent their days and nights in a place that was perfect yet needed managing. Check this out. Genesis 2.15 says that man was placed in the garden to work the land, or as some translations say, tend it. He needed to tend the garden. It wasn't just there as some sort of paradise, some sort of, you know, place pie in the sky where he could just sip, you know, pina coladas all day with his toes in the sand and whatever. It, he had to work. He was working the land. He was tending the garden. There was something that God had created in aid in him to do, and that was to tend the garden. That was to reproduce. From the law of first mention, we know, by the way, if you don't know what the law of first mention is, it's a Jewish tradition in history that when you see something mentioned the first time, it sets the tone for the rest of history, the rest of the chapter, the rest of the context. Make sense? Okay. Law of first mention, we know that we are to tend the garden that God has placed us in, Right? We are never meant to live here on this planet and not fulfill the original mandate that God has placed in us. And I said, I said in us, not on us. 
Important that you catch that. It's an original mandate that God placed in us. Okay? Everybody tracking so far? He placed this in us so that we, are, we have a desire to work. We have a desire to matter. We have a desire to produce fruit. Now, this is not an individual desire. This is a humankind mandate. Because if we know the law of first mention says, hey, Adam, you're, I'm going to place you in the garden to tend it, then for all of humanity, that law still applies. Does that make sense? So it's not just an individualistic call. It's a humanity call. Are you with me? This is innate in us, and it's woven into the very fibers of our soul. There's something innate in us that wants to matter. There's something innate in us that wants to reproduce. There's something innate in us that wants to work and wants to produce and wants to, to fulfill something that we don't even know that we have. This also has spiritual implications. Although tending garden denotes various physical tasks, it also takes on a spiritual one. We are created to create. We reproduce whether it is from the seed of the ground or the seed that God placed in us. The Spirit of God recreates herself in us as well. And this is why I believe the Holy Spirit is always referred to in the feminine tense. Anytime you see the Holy Spirit referred to in the New Testament, it is in the Greek feminine tense because females reproduce. Females carry seed. Females have the ability to birth. Isn't that fascinating? This would resonate with the physical attribute that we understand. If Jesus is the first fruits of all of us, then he carries that seed that the Holy Spirit reproduces. Are you tracking with me? So Jesus is the seed, right? He says, hey, i got to be buried. I'm going to rise again in three days. But a seed has to be dead, cracked open, hidden in darkness before it can reproduce. Well, how does Jesus reproduce himself on the planet? The Holy Spirit is the birther. The Holy Spirit is the one birthing you and I, new believers, the first fruits of Jesus Christ. And it's fascinating. All right, let's go on. Now, you wonder, may, maybe, what this all has to do with intentionality. Okay, let's look at a couple of scriptures. We start out by reading the Great Commission. Joe, I think that's slide two. Throw that up there, please. Yes. Oh, sorry. Must have missed slide two. Slide two. Oh, cool. Being commissioned simply means this. I think we're a slide behind, but that's okay. Or a slide ahead. We're on slide three. Good job. I'm off. Number one, the act of entrusting a person or group with supervisory power or authority. This is what the word commissioned means. If Jesus said, I am commissioning you to go and teach everything that I do, then what we have to understand what commission means. Number two, it's an authoritative order, charge, or direction. Number three, it's authority granted for a particular action or function. So what we can say is, in the last words of Jesus, he said this, let all mankind know that he is and now over all even death. He has completely perfected what the first Adam failed to do. So Jesus gives us a commission, number two, to continue the work that he started. And finally, he assures us that he'll always be with us. So the first thing we know is that he's like, hey, look, guys, here's the message. Let all man know that I've conquered everything, even death. You have nothing to be afraid of. 
I mean, if death is what you've been afraid of, fear not because it's just an entryway into something more glorious. It's just an entryway into something that's eternal that you can't even comprehend yet. But until then, tell everybody that you meet about me. Tell everybody that you meet the authority that I have. And by the way, I'm seating you in authority so that you can operate commissioned by me. When Teresa and I went to New York City this past summer, we saw the Statue of Liberty. It was fascinating. I don't know if you've ever been to get, to get a chance to go see the Statue of Liberty. Uh, it's amazing. And it was funny as we learned the history of the Statue of Liberty, how many people were commissioned to, to create her, to craft her, and all the different renditions that had come up. And I followed this process in my thought process about how God commissioned Jesus to come on the planet as a baby in the, in the little cradle, in the little manger, and to save the planet. He was commissioning Jesus. There was nothing else that was going to work. Eventually, one person was decided on the idea and what the Statue of Liberty should look like. It was, somebody, it was funny. Remember the one that had like the, the dude with big swords reaching over the, like you would go underneath it and like, okay, that's not what we want. We don't want people to come to America and go, geez, you bunch of warmongers. Let's just call this place a peace and we welcome immigrants. Mm. So what does this have to do with intentionality? From the moment Jesus started his ministry, he set out, catch this, my friends, to make right what Adam missed. Let me unwrap this. Because Jesus is referred to the second Adam, actually the last Adam, in 1 Corinthians 15. You guys can look that up as a long chapter. But Jesus is referred to as the second Adam or the last Adam to fulfill all things in 1 Corinthians 15. Now, this is weird, and, I, and I'm, I'm probably going to step on some toes, but I'm, I'm going to heal them later. 1 Timothy 2, 11 through 14, it states this, that Paul has given Timothy instruction about how women are supposed to be silent in the church. And I'm like, oh, everybody's like, oh, everybody go, oh. <laughs> in context, we can unwrap that. It used to be women sat on one side, men sat on the other. They would yell across at each other. Hey, what did he say? I don't think he's right. And it's like, shut up, woman. I'll talk to you later. And by the way, back then, women actually couldn't read. They, they were not educated for the most part. The common woman was. There was obviously some um, exceptions to that. So I just want to put this into context for you. Since Paul says the woman was deceived, it can be understood that she wandered away from what the truth was. Deception literally means in Greek to wander. So she wandered away. I don't know if she wasn't with Adam at the time. She was at the tree. We don't know. We don't know all the history of that. God just gave us enough to make some principles and, and to capture those things. Since the woman was deceived, she wandered away. The very meaning of deception is to wander to be seduced. Isn't that fascinating that a woman was seduced? I, th I was, thought that was fascinating. Now, if you're, ask, if you're like me, you're probably asking why. If they're living in the garden where everything was made to perfection because God said it was good, this is perfect, this is, this is exactly what I want, then how could they wander? One of the reasons that I believe and the reasons that Jesus came as the second Adam was to do and to fulfill what the first Adam failed to do. Catch this. Deliberate and intentional discipleship. Let me unpack that. Jesus lived his life deliberately discipling his guys. Deliberately. 
Everywhere they go, he would bring out a lesson. Everyone he would heal, he would teach them why. Everywhere he walked through a field, he was talking to farmers. If he was at a, if he's at a you know, tax collector's booth, he's saying, give unto Caesar. If he's in the temple, he's praying. He's showing people how to live the life. Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7 is an amazing encounter with Jesus redoing and really showing us the new covenant, the new way to live. Everything he did was from the position of intentionality. Bring about the kingdom or... We could even say, bring about the garden. We could say the second garden. If Jesus is the second Adam or the last Adam, then we could also say that spiritually, Jesus was bringing about the last garden. Like, if I'm here to make all things new, and I'm, and I'm using you to do that, really what I've done is reproduced a bunch of atoms in the right way. Adams, not atoms. Bring about the kingdom. We're taking a full turn back to the beginning. Now, when Teresa and I, again, were in New York City last month, it's weird. I'd never been to New York City in my entire life, and I've been two times this year, and I love it. Two months ago? November? Beginning of November. Whatever. It wasn't. doesn't matter. I went to, as you, some of you know, I went to a company called Next Jump. Um, I was uh, in, in, in conversation with the CEO of Next Jump. It's a company in New York City via Twitter, of all places. And um, I was just quoting some of his quotes. Someone had uh, quoted something about how she wanted to be her own CEO of her own company someday. And I said, you really ought to take a look at Next Jump's model where they have co-CEOs, a man and a woman. Co-CEOs. What a brilliant thought, right? I mean, he's like, I'm only half of my best self without Megan. I need to hear her input. She keeps and watches my blind spots, and I'm able to help her with her blind spots. So it's this really amazing concept. Anyway, after I said that, I got an invitation through private message on Twitter from Charlie Kim, the CEO of Next Jump, and said, I, would, I want to invite you as a VIP member to our Leadership Academy in New York City. I said, I'm, I'm there. I, what do I have to do? I don't, I, I, I don't know anything about it. First of all, I'm like, this is a scam. And so I emailed him back and like, oh, come on. You know, what is this? this is, is this real? It was real. And so we, Teresa and I had the privilege of sitting in this company where we learned from a secular business model some of the most fundamental spiritual concepts that I believe we've forgotten in our church. We are called to be intentional with one another. I'm going to say that again. We are called to be intentional with one another. As this leadership academy, at this leadership academy, they practice intentionality and model it like no other place I've ever seen. They have space for honest and sometimes vitriol feedback, meaning they offer and receive perspectives that others may not see, and everyone participates. Check this. From the co-CEOs down to the new hires, they practice this policy. Everybody is taught to be intentional. They're also taught to be transparent. They're taught to be vulnerable. They're taught in the, from the day they walk in that place. They actually hire. You ready for this? There's 11 interviews. Can you imagine going through this? 11 interviews to get into this company, and every single person you interview with has to give you a thumbs up, and they interview not for your talent, not for your degree, not for how smart you are. You know what the underlying theme and thread is for what they interview? Humility. This is a $2 billion company, and they hire for humility. Isn't that fascinating? 
They're doing things that I believe that we have lost in, in some churches. We've lost the intentionality. We've lost to look for humility and teachability. We've lost to look for transparency and vulnerability. And we just look for people to put a, a, a facade up. It's like, how talented are you? And what can you offer? And, and where have you served before? And what degrees do you have behind your name? And what we should be looking for are people that are humble and hungry and teachable. So my biggest takeaway from this academy was a lack of intentionality that I have led Keystone in to this point. This is the turn I want to take. I want to be more intentional with me first. I want to be more intentional with you. I want us to be more intentional together. Let's piece this all together. So what was the first sin? We go back now to Adam and Eve in the garden. What was the reason that Jesus had to come to make man right or make all things right with humanity? I would suggest that what we've learned from our founders, what we've learned from the, the, the creeds of the apostles, our foundations are correct. I'm not trying to move boundaries here. I believe it's disobedience, rebellion, pride, going somewhere other than God for the truth. But I would also suggest, as I stated earlier, that 1 Timothy chapter 4 seems to be in contradiction with Romans chapter 5. If women, they, Timothy says, well, women was deceived, but Romans chapter 5 says, but as through one man's sin entered into the world, and so death by sin, and so we've all become sinners. We've all become short of God's perfection. So it seems to be a contradiction. Well, is Paul blaming women or is he blaming man? Is he blaming mankind or is he blaming the woman specifically? I would like to suggest this, that there was a lack of discipleship or intentional reproduction on Adam's part. Genesis chapter 2, verses 15 through 17 says this. Check this. The Lord took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. And the Lord commanded the man... Who did he command? The man. You are free to eat from any tree of the garden. You're free. This place is is going to be awesome. But you must not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat of it, you will surely die. Now, something to note here. Eve was not present at this command. You with me? Genesis chapter 2, verse 15, Eve wasn't created yet. At least according to Moses' chronological order, the way God revealed this story to Moses was that Eve wasn't there yet. She did not directly hear from God. She didn't hear the direct message from God. And so there has to be, and if you'll track with me, and I, I, I forgive me if, I'm not, if it's not coming out right, but, but Jesus, even from the beginning, is modeling discipleship. And he's telling one person one thing, and he said, I expect you to tell that person what I told you. It's almost as if Genesis chapter 2, verse 15 could line up perfectly with Matthew 28, 18 through 20. I'm telling you, here's my command. Eat freely from everything you want. Man, I'm with you. This is going to be great. We are going to have an amazing eternity together. Just don't eat of that tree. Now, and, and obviously, there's a given there that you're supposed to share that with the person God's going to give you. Now, 
how do we see this play out? Eve was not here. Perhaps I would like to suggest tonight that the underlying issue, the underlying original sin was a lack of discipleship. Yes, I'm sure that pride and sin and rebellion and lying and going somewhere else for knowledge was a part of that. But I think the underlying root was Adam not correctly giving God's commands or his ways to the person closest to him. Now, look, Eve did have some information correct. We see that she told, the, she told Satan, uh, we cannot eat of it. But she also had some information incorrect. She said, we cannot touch it. Now, how are you going to tend a garden without touching the trees, touching the fruit? It's fascinating to me how we can just be a click off, and that becomes our demise. We can just be a little hair off of God's command. We can be a little hair off of God's teaching. We can be a little hair off of what he's really said. And we sort of, we sort of sprinkle in our own theology. We sprinkle in our own wires. We, we sprinkle in our own thought processes and what we see through our lens. And all of a sudden, we're, we can't touch it. We can't look at it. We can't smell it. We, I mean, who knows, generation after generation, how far away this would have been. Pretty soon we would make an apple cider out of it. I don't know. You know, it just, it's just one click leads to another, leads to another, leads to another. Right, we saw this in the whole book of Judges played out over and over and over. Could it have been that Adam failed in his responsibility to correctly disseminate the correct information to Eve? This is why Jesus' last command to us was to teach everything that he taught us. Not what your priest taught you, not what your mom and dad taught you. Teach these people that you encounter, everybody that you encounter, what I have taught you. Live this new covenant in the way that I have given it to you. This is my last command. If I'm the second Adam, I have to make everything right. Now, golly, there's a million things we could talk about, about how God made things right through Jesus to fulfill what Adam didn't fulfill, right? We're not here to, to, do, to do an in-depth Genesis exegesis. We're here to, to tonight is just to put the pieces together. If you look at the beginning, what was the first command? If God knows the, the, be, the end from the beginning, then if we know from the beginning there was a command not to touch, but that wasn't given correctly, and the last command Jesus gave was to teach and be commissioned with all authority to teach everything that I've taught you, then it's almost as if Jesus is saying, chapter done. I'm completed it. Everything that Adam failed to do, I have done. See you, boys. Since we know this, we have to allow ourselves to connect the dots of why intentional development is so important. I use the word development, but we could use discipleship. Why is intentional discipleship so, so important? Where does this leave us today? All right. Since we've been seated in heavenly places, I and I and you have been commissioned by Jesus to go and do what he did, I'd like to offer a shift in thought for us at Keystone. Intentionality has been a word for me, and I believe for us. As God gives me a word, I believe it gets out to you. I had asked our elders to give me, I think I asked them four questions, and I wanted honest feedback. 
where am I weak? Where do you see gaps? Where can we improve? Where aren't we growing? Certain things like that. And they all came back with very honest and real answers, but they all culminated into one word. We're not intentional. We're not intentional. In this coming year, I want to I want to I want to embrace this word. I want to be intentional. I don't want to be I mean Katy Perry, remember the Katy Perry song, Are You a Paper Bag Flowing Through the Wind or something? I don't I can something all I remember was the paper bag part. I'm like, "Oh my god, that could be my life." And a lot of us live that way. It's just wherever the wind blows, I guess I'll just be reactive versus proactive. I guess I'll just be a paper bag flying through the wind and wherever I go, I go. I'm not really intentional about anything. I guess I'll just figure it out when I get there. I'll be a paper bag stuck under some muffler and going down I-25. Oh, we don't have paper bags on I-25. If you want to see garbage, you should go down 8094 through Chicago. Oh, my gosh. It's a plastic bag? See, I don't even, sorry. Sorry, Katie. <laughs> So what does this look like? All right, so number one, you guys really, again, if you're not here tonight, listen to this podcast. If you're listening, uh, write notes. Intentionality has been the word for me, and I believe for us in this coming year. So how are we going to do that? Number one, we're going to create spaces or gardens. We're going to go back to the beginning so that we can see the end. If we create spaces for intentionality and vulnerability and real discipleship, we're going to grow and we're going to see our city change. We, but we have to be intentional about it. So this answers the question, well, I'm here at Keystone. What do I do now? Where do I go? How do I grow here? How do I develop as a leader? What if I want to? What if I want to teach? What if I want to uh, grow? What if I want to start a small group? How do I do that? If you know we've been in existence for six years, we don't have that. That's me. That's my personality. I'm a paper bag, plastic bag. Hey, maybe somebody will step up and want to do a small group ministry. Maybe somebody will just watch my example and they'll just get it osmosisly, whatever. I've realized it doesn't work that way. And so all of my frustration has been, why won't somebody do something? And they're just waiting. I know you're waiting to be led. You're waiting to be challenged. You're waiting to be coached. You're waiting to say, you can do this. Even though you might hate it, you can do it. That's what good leaders do. Now, I want to notice something about the garden. Genesis chapter 2, verse 5. This is amazing to me. I just saw this this week. You guys might know this. Sometimes I should just go in the closet and preach to myself. Genesis 2, verse 5. Now, no shrub had yet appeared on the earth. Hmm. And no plant had yet sprung up. For the Lord had not sent rain on the earth, and there was no one to work the ground. Now, wait a minute. Wouldn't you think that the Garden of Eden would look like this. This is one of the 15 most beautiful gardens in the world. Every picture I've seen, everything I've ever heard about the Garden of Eden is this lush, lavish, beautiful place that God just poked man into. 
and said, there you go, tend the garden. But I would suggest something else. The pictures we used to see in Sunday school, like this one, left us a little skewed on what I think the original garden looked like. Perhaps the garden was an unending place of potential. It was seed in the ground. And it looked like this. And it took a gardener and water and time and Adam to tend it. Now, I, you may have known that. I am blown away. I'm not, I think it's the Holy Spirit. I'm pretty sure it is. I think that's what the garden looked like. It was loaded with potential. God had put all the seeds in the ground and say, Adam, tend it. Water's coming. Tend it. I never saw, I didn't connect the dots between Genesis 2-5 and why the garden, I, I, I thought that, I think, how did Adam know how to tend a garden if he didn't plant a garden? Usually when you plant a garden, you're starting with seed. This makes so much sense now through all of the thread of history that everything starts with seed. It kind of answers the chicken or the egg thing first, right? What came first? Seed. There was nothing growing, not a shrub, not a planet grown. This is amazing. The garden, in fact, was full of seeds. It was full of potential. It was full of glory. You just couldn't see it yet. If nothing had grown, no shrubs or plants, then the obvious, obvious observation was that everything was already in the ground, waiting to be tended, watered, and nurtured. And for the sake of this message, intentionally developed. Everything was already there. Everything we need is already there. We just have to intentionally develop it. Woohoo! Isn't that awesome? Everything you have, everything you desire is already there. You just have to develop it. In the book of Joy, the Dalai Lama was sharing a story of perspective. And it was really good. It was about how you live through what you've been told and how you can accept things just because you've been told them. Not because they're true. It's just because that's what you've been told. I recently watched um, Cider House Rules. Has anybody seen it? It's like 1999. I was bawling at the beginning, and it's just oh, my heart, my orphans, and bad. Yeah. All through the movie, there's a character, the protagonist, was told that he had a bad heart. He didn't have a bad heart. But the person that was in care of him told him that he had a bad heart to keep him from any danger, to keep him from any harm, so that he could keep him for himself. It wasn't the truth, but that's what he believed. You have a bad heart. Well, why aren't you in the military? Why aren't you enlisted? This was set in 1940, 1940s, around World War II. He goes, well, I have a bad heart. Here's my x-rays. They weren't his x-rays. It was a false report. Everything we need 
is buried in us in seed form. And I think the concept subconsciously, we think the garden was already there. Oh man, it's all beautiful. Look at all these flowers. And Adam just gets dumped into this paradise. Well, I suggest that it wasn't a paradise. That God says, look, in order for you to fundamentally understand my nature, things have to take time and they grow, and you tend them, and you nurture them, and you water them. It's in being intentional. It's being a gardener. It's making sure your seed is good, and it's in good ground. I'm, I'm excited. You tell. You guys here? I mean, this is, did you guys already know this? That would suck if I'm the last one to know. <laughs> it wouldn't suck. It just means we have smart people. All right. Our spaces of intentionality. Now let's make it real. Our spaces of intentionality will not look like full-grown gardens. You will have to till the ground. You will have to plant the seed. You will have to water. And here's the secret ingredient. Time. Give it time with people. If you're discipling someone, don't expect them to grow up into a huge oak tree and go, wow, look how great of a discipler I am. It takes time. At the very end of Jesus' ministry, the disciples were like, should we worship? Should we not? What do, what do you think? Thomas? <laughs> I doubt that. Golly, you guys are tough tonight. Everybody tired? Gee whiz. We're created to create. We're created to tend it will look like barren places of dirt. Joe, throw that slide back up. It'll look like barren places of dirt. I was a horticulture believer major, believe it or not, in college. I don't know why. Two years of my life, running around trying to grow trees. It's weird. Smoke. Well, I wasn't smoking, but other people were smoking stuff. I think that's why they were in horticulture. Hey, if I go to a horticulture school, I can grow my own, you know, just be awesome. Do some hybrids. All right, I'll stop. This is probably the people's lives that we're working in is going to look like for a while. I worked on a farm for, for all my teenage years, and the, my, my greatest joy, I don't know why, my greatest joy was turning over the dirt. We'd disc it. We'd roll it. We wouldn't use plows so much anymore unless it was really bad, but we'd just disc it up, we'd roll it, and sometimes we'd do a no-till, and so you just plant seed right over. Looks like barren ground. Nothing's going to grow there, but there's a promise of seed. This is all making sense, isn't it? It reminds me of the parable of Jesus, the sower and the seed. Sow seed first. You can't reap a harvest without seed. We will see that we are fulfilling once again what Jesus was doing his entire time on the planet. Everything Jesus did spiritually was allowing the seed to take root in the second garden. The kingdom of God was coming back to life. The kingdom of God was rich with fertile. I mean, things were a mess on the appearance, and it didn't look like much. And I remember acres and acres and acres and acres of hedgerow that we would have to rip out and just useless bur oaks and, and all these brickle burrs that would jump on your boots, and you just couldn't get them off, and these stickers and milkweed and velvet leaf and all this garbage. And yet once it's cleared, man, we'd disc it up and roll it, and it looked beautiful. It was ready. There's a whole process to discipleship. Sometimes you're going to find somebody with a stone heart. You're like, Holy Spirit, I can't crush that. You have to do that. 
Sometimes you'll find people with thorny hearts, and you're like, Holy Spirit, you're going to have to rid that stuff out. It's not my job. But sometimes you'll find people with fertile, ready hearts. And you know the moment you talk to them, I'm ready to change. My life's a disaster. I'm ready. Do you have something? And if we don't have the right seed to plant in their hearts, then we have done a poor job of understanding the gospel. The gospel is the seed of life. And Jesus sits at the head of that as an example to us. Spaces here, and they might look like small groups. You'll be, you'll be challenged to lead and grow. This, this does not negate the, the places of rest and rhythm. We will have spaces of high invitation and high challenge so that we can get back to that discipleship quadrant. I fear we have slipped down into a cozy culture. We have to do more because we're created to do more. This isn't a guilt trip to some church growth platform thing. It's my absolute desire to be intentional. My absolute desire to hear from your hearts about how you want to be developed, how you want to have a track to run on, how you can grow, and it has to be more than what we're currently doing. We're created to move. We're created to create. When we are spiritually lethargic, it affects more than just our spirits. It affects our bodies and our minds as well. Catch that. If we are spiritually lethargic, it affects your spirit, your soul, and your mind as well. Check out this Harvard business, uh, Medical Review. Your mind and your body are intimately connected. And while your brain is the master control system for your body's movement, movement, the way you move can also affect the way you think and feel. Movement therapies are often used as adjunctive treatments for depression and anxiety when mental effort, psychotherapy, or medication is not enough. When you are, oh, this is so good, you guys. When you are too exhausted to use thought control strategies, such as focusing on the positive. By the way, I'm, I'm so worn out of just think positive. Think positive thoughts. Just think positive. It's got to be more than that. I'm telling you, I'm positive, and it's got to be more than that for me. That's my number one strength. Darn it. Positivity. And I'm telling you, thinking positive is not enough. Or looking at the situation from another angle. Movement can come to the rescue. By working out, going on a meditative walk by yourself, or going for a synchronized walk with someone, Jesus was pretty smart when he sent them out two by two, you may gain access to the back door to the mental changes that you desire without having to psych yourself out into feeling better. Come on. Now, I'm applying this. If this is true for our physical bodies, then how much more true is it for our spiritual health? If we are not moving spiritually, being developed spiritually, we are mentally sick. Spiritually. We have got to move spiritually. We can't keep resonating and reminding yourself of days of ore. You've got to move forward into what God's calling you to do now. Those were great days. Awesome. We celebrate that. But what are we doing now to prepare for tomorrow, to prepare our field for tomorrow? We literally can become spiritually depressed if our spirits are not being developed. Are you catching this? 
We can become spiritually depressed, and we think that we're okay, and we really can't put our thumb on it, but we just aren't fulfilled. We're spiritually depressed because we're not being discipled. We're not being developed. We're not doing anything about it. And this has to change. And finally, moving forward, Keystone has been known for community. I'm telling you, we don't do it all right all the time. But if someone were to say something about Keystone Church, man, that community, they do community well. They are connected. They do community, community, community. We have so many things around community, although not perfect. But here's where it hurts. And it starts with me, you guys. So trust me, this sword is cutting me first, okay? So this is not a guilt trip on you. This is like I'm changing, so you want to come with me? You can. If not, this, this, uh, this is where I'm going. We have not been good at intentionally developing people. I've not been good at intentionally developing people. Again, paper bag, right? Uh, hey, you want to get together? Plastic bag, whatever. Plastic's bad for the environment. All right, it's paper bag. You want to get together? Yeah, man, let's have community. Yeah, let's hang out. But there's no intentionality behind it. I don't, what's the purpose of this? And so what I heard in a lot of the feedback was, what is our purpose? Where are we going? How do we develop disciples? How do we create an environment of growth? How do we get back to that field and say, there's good seed here. Let's give it time. Let's water it. Again, I'm not saying everything we've done is wrong. I'm just saying we've got to jump. We've got to change. We've got to grow. Or I promise you, 10 years from now, we'll be looking at each other going, we've got to jump. We've got to change. We've got to grow. And you'll all be, yeah. Who's going out after church? I'm tired. I don't know why. And we'll be, we'll, by that time, we'll be spiritually, mentally challenged. <clears throat> so moving forward. Keystone has been known for the community. We got that. Second one. This falls on all of us. Now check this out. We cannot live in the Old Testament where a lot of the stories centered around one man or one woman. Examples are uh, Moses, Joshua, Deborah, Ruth, David, or Jeremiah. They're, this has left a subconscious desire for us to want one person to lead. How do I know this? Look at the Western American church. If it's not the lead pastor, once the church gets so big, what's he do? Hires another one. What do they do after that? Hire another one. What do they do after that? Oh, got to have someone to manage these three clowns, so let's hire an executive pastor. What do we do after that? Well, we got to hire a sound pastor. A sound pastor. That's a thing. Did you know that? That's a thing. You can pastor sound. I didn't know you could do that, but you can literally pastor sound. This has to be. <laughs> Isn't that funny to say? There are college degrees like sound pastors. This has left a subconscious desire for us to want one person to lead to teach, develop, and correct. If this were the case, our new covenant would be moot. I've always wanted to have a sermon where I could just use the word moot in it. So there it is. And there would be no reason for Jesus to develop his 12. If we're not, if we're not in the new covenant, there's no reason for Jesus to develop his 12. He would just show up. This is what you do. I'm going to be your pastor. And he would never leave the earth. He would never have to develop anyone because he, there'd be no need. He would just come and rescue them for a while, but I promise you the cycle would continue and Israel would go right back into sin. And you know what? We'd be reproducing judges again. He was, in fact, working in a barren garden, planting seeds, watering them, developing them, and watching them turn into fruitful, reproducing disciples. Finally, did I say finally already? Sorry. 
See? It's going to hurt. Another thing that we've lacked is laying out expectations. When we're part of a family, it means that everyone pitches in. We hold one another accountable with tons of grace, of course, and let each other know that we are willing to receive correction in our blind spots as well as give correction to others' blind spots. The hard part is giving it for most of us. We don't want to offend anybody, so we just won't say anything. Oh, yes, I can receive, but you can't just be a taker. You have to be a giver as well. You have to be balanced. I believe that when you come to a family or a body of Christ such as this, you deserve to know what's expected of you. Every job, everything we've ever, ever done in our life, there's an expectation in your family. There are expectations in your family. My family has expectations. Son, you will take out the garbage. Daughter, you will clean your room. Son, you will clean your room. You will clean your room, son. You will keep your room clean. It's an expectation. The dyers live a certain way. This is what we expect from our family. It's like a given. It's like a no-brainer. But when we come to church, sometimes all those expectations are left at the door, and you can just do whatever you want. Just come as you are. And listen, hear the balance there. Yes, come as you are. But there's an expectation for you to grow. There's an invitation for you to grow. There's a desire for you to grow. There's, a, there's an atmosphere of growth. There's good ground of growth. And it takes all of us. The secular world understands this. If you go to a job, you're going to ask, what, what, what are my job requirements? What do I do? Oh, just come and sit and be healed. Uh, you're going to pay me for that? I know you're not getting paid. Well, that'd be cool. If you come to church, get paid. Can I just sit and paid, get healed? Yeah, great. Hear my heart. Yes, come and get healed. And when you're ready, you can expect to grow. At some point, your heart is going to have to be cracked up. You're going to have to get some some healing. If you've come out of an abusive situation, an abusive church, you're going to have to get over that. You're going to have to stop blaming your past, blaming your parents, blaming everybody else for what you're going through. You have to take self-responsibility and say, it's on me now. I've forgiven. I'm moving forward. That's your first step to growth. Expectations, they're just laid out. They're simple. It's not hard. And it's not even hard-ish, like I'm being hard on you. It's just like, thank you. I feel like our body is going to breathe a sigh of relief and go, thank you, Pastor. Thank you. We've been waiting for you to tell us what's expected of us. Without laying out clear expectations, we can fall into a muddle of misunderstandings. And that, that little girl, Miss Understandings, she is rotten. So things get talked about, and we're not sure the clear message, and we're not sure where we're going. Without intentionality, this will be where we stay, and we have to jump. So what are these expectations? You say, well, Pastor, you're laying all these expectations. What are they? Well, it's simple. Number one, let's make disciples together. Let's just make disciples. I know there's a lot to that, and we'll unpack all that, and we'll we'll really dig into what that means because in my mind, I think I know what that means, but and, and then if I think that I know what it means, then I think that you know what it means. And so I'm taking it for granted that you know what making a disciple is. But guess what? We didn't get to hang out with Jesus for three and a half years, so we're going to have to undo a lot of thought processes that we did have so that we can enter into a new place of new covenant so that we can disciple correctly. Does that make sense? Number two, 
Be intentional about development. Now, this begins with you. There's a phrase that I have adopted. It's this. I got it from Next Jump. A better me plus a better you equals a better us. But guess where it starts? A better me. I did a blog once, and I, I reversed the two. Charlie actually read the blog, the CEO, and corrected me <laughs> on Twitter. Hey, man, it's not a better you first. It's a better me first. And I was getting into the habit of saying, better you, better me, better us. Well, as long as you change, then it'll help me change. But in reality, it's love your neighbor as yourself. This, if this isn't right, then nothing else can be right from this. If my heart's not right, if it's not a better me and Jesus, then how could it ever be a better you? And how could, it ever, how could we ever change the world if we don't start with me? A better me. Number three, we plant seeds, man. We water and we allow for time and fruit. Become the gardeners of people's lives. Become the gardeners of people's lives. It, it's going to take time. It's the expectation. It's holding the little seedling so tenderly and going, ah, I hope you make it. Come on, you got this. It's good seed. I'm watering you. I'm singing to you. I'm being gentle with you. I got you in the palm of my hands, man. Uh, and it's not, again, remember, this is all cloaked in the globe of the Holy Spirit. Right? You're tracking with me, right? I'm not trying to get all weird on you. I'm just saying that if we, we are the hands and feet. And if we're not doing this, who, who is? It's not going to happen. Us, us mostly, I think I said it right. It's not going to happen on accident. It'll happen with intentionality. Number four, offer tons of grace. Tons of grace. But also balance truth with love. Tons of, yeah, you screwed up. But let me tell you the truth. You screwed up because of bad decisions that you're making. Start making one good decision at a time. I promise, they build on each other, and it's awesome. Number five, be vulnerable and transparent. We could actually make this number one. Be vulnerable and transparent. Be vulnerable and transparent. Look, I know Saturday night isn't always the best place to, like, sob on the carpet and, and tell everybody you're junk. I get it. We're limited in time. This is more of a place of celebration and, and instruction. But if we have the space for vulnerability and transparency, imagine going, oh, everything he talked about on Saturday, I'm going to take that Tuesday Man, I'm just going to spend some time one-on-one -on -one with, my, with, my, with my guy, with my lady. And number six, you might want to write this down. No LHFing. Uh, no LHFing. You're wondering what, is anybody going to ask? What is LHFing? Thank you, Josh. No lying, hiding, or faking. No lying, hiding, or faking. No LHFing. We have to be real. How's this look like in the new year? Spending a lot of time shifting the direction of Keystone. It's not a big shift. It's a small shift. I'm not going to freak all the people out and go, oh my God, we got a new program. It's not a program. It's a lifestyle shift. Look, I understand this, this takes time. Matter of fact, Charlie Kim said this, in a culture of intentional development, it's probably going to take you about two years. I, I that's what he said. Two years. Two years of intentionally developing one another. By then, our language should be the same. We should be able to say, hey, are you LHFing? <laughs> I am, man. And a stranger comes in, what is this church all LHFing? What does that mean? Lying, hiding, faking. No lying, hiding, faking. Don't lie. Number one, the Harvard Business Review said the number one problem in the United States right now in business is lying. The number one problem in business is not that they're not 
trained. It's not that they don't show up on time. It's not that they're not making enough money. Is they lie. They lie, hide, and fake. Guilty. You'll have a clear path of direction for growth and development. You're like, well, where do we go? Well, it's coming. There needs to be a track. You have a clear path. We'll offer more intentional gatherings to develop disciples. Not, there's nothing wrong with community dinners, and there's nothing wrong with game nights, and there's nothing wrong with, with going to the zoo with one another. That's awesome, but we have to have space for intentionality where you can get in my face, and I can get in your face, and we can hold each other accountable, and not just a buzzword that we use on Snapchat or Twitter. We won't assume Check, this is for me, maybe. I won't assume that everyone, quote, unquote, gets it. Others will take more time for healing and development. Everyone, hear this, everyone has been created to reproduce. However, just like there are different plants with different seasons, we know that everyone will operate and grow at a different pace. Amen? Wow. So it's time to jump. I mentioned this before. This is the best I could do. I couldn't find any candy canes that were linked together, so there's my slideshow. This is called the candy cane graph. The candy cane slides, a candy cane growth of chart, usually means, let's say the first little iteration there where the green arrow starts is when we planted Keystone. A lot of excitement, man. This was awesome. And, well, we had a school full of people, a living room full of people. And then you start making changes. Anytime you make a change, there's a dip. And you're like, oh, my God, did I make the right change? When we changed here Saturday night, we had, we had this place was almost full. Was the wings, we had wings, chairs set up. I mean, there's people everywhere. I'm like, this is awesome. We've done it. We've, we've made the right decision. And then we took the dip. And then there were 10. But now we're probably, I would say, at the top of that first arrow, ready to make the next change. As we make the next change, a lot of heart, a lot of excitement grows. Oh, my gosh, we've got a clear path of development. Wow, we've got, we've got all these people leading and guiding and teaching us, and I know where I'm going. I know how I'm going to grow here. Woo, this is awesome. And we grow, and yet we have to make another change, and we have to hold more people accountable. And so there's another dip. But notice, the second dip is higher than the highest point than when we first began. And you can see the trend. And the trend just keeps going. Candy cane, time to jump. Every time you jump a level, there is the risk of loss. Every time there's change in a company, every time there's change in a church, there is risk of loss. Do not think I've not considered that. There's a risk of loss. However, when we come out of that, we'll be higher than we were when we first began and we thought everything was so awesome. Everything is good at Keystone, guys. Listen, I'm happy. I'm not, I'm not mad. I'm, not, I'm, not really, I'm really happy. I'm a happy person. Positivity is my number one strength. But we know we need to change. We've got to grow. If we don't grow, we're going to die. And before we know it, we'll be dead with a room full of dead people looking at each other going, what are we doing here again? Let's find another church where they can entertain us better. This guy's getting old. We've heard that joke before. When, the, when we take this trajectory, it's risky, it's scary, but it's the right way. we got to do this. We can't afford to slide into Christian consumerism 
it will kill us. We have to be intentional about discipling one another, planting seeds in our gardens. I'm, I really am looking forward to this new season, and I trust you'll take the journey with me, us, together. Let's stand.